0: You're listening to
1: Rintoul and Sermon. We're
0: going back to the future? It's not that far back if we're talking expansion draft. Is that worth thinking here? I'm not sure. Maybe Greg just liked the 80s jam from Huey Lewis and the News. Power of love. Scott Rintoul, it's Jamie Dodd. I didn't expect to hear that today, Jamie, but I saw a lot of things this weekend that I didn't expect to see, including Carey Price being left for the Seattle Kraken to select, should they choose. Yeah, that was moderately
1: surprising. I think probably more surprising than hearing uh, "Power of Love," courtesy of Greg Malik. Although I'm very much, I'm very much enjoying both of those things. Really, I mean, Carrie Price gives us some great fodder, and always a
0: good time to hear "Power of Love." I'm down with it. I'm certainly not criticizing the musical selection. I grew up during that era. I think it's a great movie, and I'm a big fan. Thank you very much, Greg Ballack. Thank you very much to all of you texting in. Many of you wanting to comment on the Carey Price situation, other deals that went down around the National Hockey League, the expansion choices, and they are there are many to be made. It is funny. You look at some rosters right now around the National Hockey League, Jamie. St. Louis is an example of this. Do you take Tarasenko? Do you take Vince Dunn? Where do you go with that? Didn't think Tarasenko a few months ago would be one of those guys left unprotected. Now here you are. Do you take the risk? Do you use him as an asset? If you're Seattle, do you flip him, even if you don't have plans for him yourself? Vince Dunn, lower cost, versatile defenseman who can play either side. You look at Toronto, for example, and Toronto went a completely different way with this expansion process than others. I outlined my personal fantasy football expansion draft philosophy last week. I decided I wanted to get something for an asset, the way that many teams around the National Hockey League did, like Dallas. You know what? Let's take a third rounder for Jason Dickinson here. We'll send him to Vancouver. We get something from him for him rather than lose him to the expansion draft. Toronto went the other way. Toronto said, you know what? We're going to lose a player, so we're actually going to add another player here so that if we do lose a guy up front in Kerfoot, for example, that we think we might, we've got insulation. Or if we trade for Jared McCann, and that's who the Seattle Kraken take, we still get Alex Kerfoot.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because in the immediate aftermath of that, you know, they trade for Jared McCann, which I know a lot of people are really a fan of for that move for Toronto, right? He's a good player, but then they leave him unprotected. It left a lot of people scratching their heads, but if you think about it, You know, let's say Seattle does draft Jared McCann, you've basically got out of the expansion process losing a prospect and a seventh-round pick, right? I think a lot of teams would sign up for that. You know, if you made that side deal directly with Seattle, say, we'll give you this prospect who's pretty good and a seventh-round pick, and you don't take anything from our roster, I think there's a lot of teams that would sign up for that. So it does make a certain amount of sense from Toronto. Now, I think you could criticize them for going with the 4-4, protection model rather than 7-3. You you theoretically could have protected Kerfoot and McCann in the latter scenario, but the decision to leave McCann unprotected, it does have a certain amount of logic behind it.
0: It does, and it might not be either of those players. Maybe Seattle goes with Travis Dermott off the back end, and they decide to beef up their blue line the way that Vegas did and just take a lot of defensive assets. There are choices to be made. Just before we get to Louis-Jean of Sports will join us here momentarily. Frank Saravelli reporting that it It's not done yet because you can't sign players right now. We're in this roster freeze, this trade freeze right now. Barkley Goudreau, who was acquired by the New York Rangers over the course of the weekend, sounds like significant progress has been made on a new deal. The expectation is that Goudreau will be a blue shirt once the signing moratorium is lifted with a six-year deal, somewhere around 3.6 AAV. That is the latest news around the National Hockey League. Let's head to Montreal, hook up with our good friend Louis-Jean of TVA Sports, talk about Carey Price and everything else. Louis, thank you very much for doing this today. How are you? Scotty, my man. Gentlemen, I'm doing outstanding. How are you? We are well, thanks in large part to the general manager that you've been covering for years now. I said this off the top of the show. If there's one thing I could protect in the National Hockey League, it would be Mark Bergevin at the reins of whatever franchise. The world's just a better place with him making polarizing deals and decisions, isn't it?
2: It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, and, and you know, <laughs> look, I mean, the whole Shea Weber news last week was, was huge in terms of, you know, his health issues. And then, you know, we we're, we were all sort of wondering what's going to happen to Carey Price. He's, uh, he's so loyal uh, in his approach and the way he's built his team and, and the career that he, that he had as well as a player. Uh and so I don't think anybody really saw this coming at all. Mark, uh, he he's a guy who always swings for the fences. He's made some huge trades. He's made a lot of very good ones. He's made a few that I'm sure he'd like to have back. But this is this is monumental and, and either way, uh, you know, I, I don't think the Montreal Canadiens in any way want to lose Kerry Price. You guys all saw what he did to lead his team to the Stanley Cup final this year. But on the flip side, should the Kraken decide that they want to, you know, they want to pick Carry Price. They want to take him. Man, does it make things interesting in Montreal in terms of just being able to remodel uh, your team to completely, uh, you know, uh, you know, go after some guys, make some creative trades, which Mark has never had any issues in doing. And so there's a lot of nervous fans right now, a lot of nervous people. But man, he's got some big ones. I'll say that.
0: Well, with the two names you mentioned, if you add those contracts together and neither on the books next season, one because of injury in Shea Weber and the other because of expansion selection in Carey Price, that's well over $18 million that all of a sudden gets freed up. And there's a lot you can do in this environment with 18 and change. Let's talk Carey Price specifically. What has been the reaction over the last 48 hours from the fan base in Montreal with at least the possibility of losing Carey Price? Uh,
2: There's a lot of people freaking out, Um, you know, and and it's funny because a lot of those people are probably the same same ones that were saying you can't win with a ten and a half million dollar goalie. You know, there's no way it just doesn't work. Well, he at least he led them to the Stanley Cup final uh, this year, so I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are just sort of on pins and needles right now, wondering where does this go, what's the play, and what will this team look like next year. I mean, we mentioned. Shea Weber, we mentioned Carey Price, and I'm sure we're probably going to talk about Philip Denot and, and Jonathan Rouen and, and other players that potentially will not be there. But this guy has been he's been the franchise player since since they drafted him in 2005, the same year as Sidney Crosby coming into the NHL. He's had some ups and downs. He's he's had in 2015 one of the best seasons a goalie can have individually with winning the Hart and the Vezina and the Ted Lindsay. He was absolutely phenomenal. He's got a great international career. He's always sort of been criticized about, well, what can you do in Montreal? Not that he's had some great teams, but can he get them over the top? Can he get them to win? Can he win around? He did that this year. And so all of a sudden, I think the people that had doubts, people that weren't sure he could still be the man, now realized he can. And now they're like, what? So, So he's probably gone now? So I think there's a lot of people that are wondering, so what happens? What's the plan? And what will this team look like afterwards if he's gone? If he isn't here, what about Shea Weber? What if he's gone? What's going to happen? All those things. There's so many question marks, so many balls up in the air right now in Montreal.
0: Louis
1: Jean of TVI hey, Sports Louis, you know, joining you us here. How just the guts it took from Marc Bergevin to make this move.
2: Uh, well, I mean, listen, he's never been afraid uh, to make to make bold moves. That's one thing we know about Mark Bergevin. That's why I think, you know, and it's one of the things that you, you, in in a market like Montreal, it's the same in Vancouver, you're always going to be criticized. You have millions and millions of people and armchair quarterbacks or whatever, or, 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 you know, people that uh, they think that they could probably do a better job than the man himself. Um, You know, so so I'm not surprised, to be honest with you, because he has always said, even when his job was on the line a few years ago, he said, "Listen, I'm going to make the best decision for this franchise moving forward, not to save my job. I sincerely believe that he believes that, and I sincerely believe that you know the decisions and the way he acts and the way he's trying to build this team is exactly with that philosophy in mind. What is best for the Montreal Canadiens moving forward to build this team for years to come, and so that's why they made this decision. You know what? Like I mean, when you look at it." There's a lot of people thinking, my God, Jake Allen, are you kidding me? You're doing this. You're willing to run the risk of losing, uh, you know, Carey Price because you're protecting Jake Allen. That's that's what he's meant to this team. I mean, he's been here this only one year. Um, but they also, I mean, this is a, an educated guess or a gamble they're taking, but one they're willing to take. Look, if they lose Carey Price, they've got $10.5 million that's that's off the books. Plus there's, as you mentioned, Scott, uh, what happens to the captain? Everybody feels that he's not going to be playing again this year. He may never play again. That's extra money off the books. And then you've got Philip Dano, and who knows what happens with Jonathan Rouen. Can he return? Is he going to be on on long term disability? What's you know what's going to happen there? You really have the potential to either set yourself up really well uh, or rebuild and rebuild on the fly. Be able to to take some of the pieces that you have, and they're pretty high on some of the kids they have right now, and try and. And, and, you know, uh, plug in some pieces, some players via trade, via perhaps you have free agency, although the market isn't all that great on free agency. So Mark, Mark knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, you, you can, you, you, I mean, as I said, you don't always hit for a thousand when you're an NHL general manager. But I think if there's one thing, there were a lot of criticism and a lot of uh, uh, people that sort of doubted him and have for nine years in Montreal. All of a sudden, I think there's a lot of people that are saying, well, this guy, he's got, I mean, he's not afraid to make a big move. He's not afraid to, to, to go against the current, to go against the grain. And he has a lot of conviction in what he does. So I think there's a lot of people that respect that.
0: There are others, and you know this because you saw it last week after the Shea Weber announcement, that are very cynical about both of these moves, especially when combined. Oh, is Shea Weber actually hurt? Are they trying to pull a Nikita Kucherov here? You know the man, so you know that he is physically unwell. Carey Price, with the injury news coming out, but not having any type of definition on what the injury is going to be until after the expansion draft, there are others calling dirty pool on that. Do you believe there's any element of that in this plan?
2: Well, listen, on the Shea Weber front, for me, there's no question. I mean, what you're hearing, the reports are true. Uh, this guy, he, he absolutely – I mean, what did Mike Dabcock call him? Uh, you know, the man mountain. He, uh, he really is a guy who plays through stuff that 99% of players wouldn't be able to endure. He has been that devoted to his team, to his craft, to his career, and everything, and so I 100% buy what they're saying on, on – Shea Weber no questions uh to me and when you talk to some of the players some of his teammates they say listen we didn't realize perhaps the extent of how serious it was but we could tell that he had a little extra mojo that he wanted to make this happen for us and for himself Uh, that's one two on Carey Price I mean listen uh Does he, you know, will he potentially have to go under the knife? A hundred percent. I think that those are all, you know, facts as well. Look at what happened to Dallas last year. Look at what happened to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Kucherov didn't play all year. And, and yes, could he have returned a little bit earlier? Potentially, Uh, you know, did, uh, did, did Tampa Bay get a little creative there, you know, in in dealing with him potentially as well, but, you know, look at how many guys weren't able to, to start the season or didn't even play for Tampa Bay this year. Look, Kerry Price is, is an aging goaltender. He's still a dominant force, no question about that. But he needs his rest. And he has been injury prone over the last few years. And so, uh, you know, is it as serious as some are reporting or suggesting? Perhaps not. But is there something there? There is no question there's something there. I would love to be in, you know, in the war room in Seattle right now and be part of those discussions and figure out what they're saying. I don't think they saw that or expected Carey Price to be available. And as you guys know, the Seattle, the Washington State connections are definitely there with, with uh, Carey playing his junior hockey in that area, with his wife being from Washington State and, and all those things. And so, you know, uh, it really makes it intriguing because, as I mentioned, Montreal do not, and I repeat, they do not want to lose Carey Price but they're also very cognizant and aware that that possibility exists. I don't know what they're doing to sweeten the pot, if at all, to ensure that Ron Francis and, and the Seattle Kraken don't, you know, don't select Carey Price. But, man, you've certainly made it a conversation. You've made it very, very interesting for Ron Francis and the Team Brass on where they're going, what they're going to do. Because, I mean, listen, we all saw what Vegas did in, in uh, building their team around a goaltender in Marc-Andre Fleury, he automatically became the face of the franchise. Imagine having Carey Price and what that would mean for that franchise as well.
1: Well, and Lou, you talk about Montreal potentially trying to sweeten the deal a little bit for Seattle to take somebody else. I mean, what other players that are available to the to the Kraken might they be interested in taking from Montreal's roster if they decide not to go the, the uh, Carey Price direction?
2: Well, you know, that's a that's a very, very good uh, question. You know, the one thing that Ron Francis sort of insisted on, and he hasn't said much, but one thing he did say was, um, you know, just how with the cap staying flat at 81.5 the next year and, and next few years, as it's expected to be, uh, you know, they want to be very careful in the way they're going to manage, uh, you know, their, their allocations, their money allocations, salary allocations to the players, etc., and so that's a very good question. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, no, we're all guessing here and we're all trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do. Are they, do they want to go and, and, you know, be like Vegas right off the bat and be a contender? Um, do they want to be, you know, a team that wants to be interesting and competitive, but they want to build through the draft and they're looking a little bit more long-term than what Vegas is? I really don't have an answer to that, but I do find it interesting to see that a guy like Philippe Deneau, who's been very very good he's a you know he's he's a Quebecer and he had a really you know, offensively he didn't produce much in the playoffs but we all know how great he is defensively for them to not protect him as he becomes a UFA that's clearly an indication that he's he's going elsewhere he's put his house up for sale as well so it looks like he's on the outs for sure but they protect a guy like Yoel Armia Who's going to be UFA as well? That says a lot about you know. You talked about uh, Mark Bergevin, how he's not afraid to make tough decisions. That's a tough one as well. You know, that's a very very difficult one as well. So that's one player who's available to the Kraken or to anyone who's interested right now in Philip Deneau. I don't know if they if they'd want to go there or not, but you know, there's some there's some players for sure that would be interesting. Um, for the Seattle Kraken, uh, whether it's Hayden Flurry, who's a young, up-and-coming defenseman. You know, they've got several of those guys. But, but by doing what they've just done, uh, you know, by, by exposing Shea Weber and by exposing Carey Price, it really has protected the guys that they wanted to protect. You know, we all thought they were going to lose either Joel Edmondson or Ben Sherrod. I thought one of those two would not be protected if Shea Weber would have been. Well, we all thought for sure Jake Allen was as good as gone with his salary and with, you know, his pedigree and resume if he wasn't going to be protected. They found a way to protect some core pieces and guys that bring them success. Now, you know, you, you, as I said, the captain is is out there. I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think Seattle would select him. But, I mean, it, it comes back to Carey Price. That's why these next few hours and up until – Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon where you guys are, man, is it going to be must see TV and everybody's going to be watching and refreshing their Twitter feed, Twitter feed to see what's going on there.
1: And we know Seattle's big advantage right now in a league where everyone is starved for cap spaces. They have a ton of cap space. well, you know Montreal. All of a sudden, depending on how things shake out with Shea Weber and Carey Price, Mark Bergevin could have a significant chunk of cap space to yep. work with in this off season as well. You know, let's say a certain amount of that space comes to fruition. What do you think should be at the top of Mark Bergevin's shopping list if he does all of a sudden have a big chunk of change to work with? Well,
2: the question mark that I write that I have right now is, um, you know, is, is Jonathan Drouin? I mean, Jonathan Drouin is you know, one of the most gifted offensive players Montreal has. He's their best feeder. He's their best passer. Uh, you know, he's he's very, very good on the power play as well. So what happens with him? If you don't have him and you're losing Thomas Tatar and you're losing Philip Deneau, who's your number one centerman, uh, you know, Cole Caulfield is going to be there next year, but you're still going to need some players. So do you go after uh, uh, Gabriel Landeskog or do you go after a Tarasenko or you know where do you go what are what are the things that they feel that they need at this point uh they're going to need some some veteran leadership and we all know how how important that's been look at the signings or the trades that Marc Bergevin made last year and bringing some of the guys that really contributed in Montreal's run to the Stanley Cup Final that's sort of that's sort of where he went with this so uh, you know they needs they need some some snipers as well on the power play. They were interested in Mike Hoffman a, a while ago, a couple years ago, and so would they would they go there? I'm just purely speculating at this point because, to be honest, until we know or we see what happens uh, on Wednesday night, we have no clue uh, what what the possibilities are going to be. But what it does do is that it really opens your game, opens all the possibilities you have, and I think the one thing that Montreal. You know, Mark prefers to make trades as opposed to signing UFAs and and overpaying. If he targets a player that he really likes, for example, uh, a guy like Josh Anderson when they traded Max Domi to Columbus, you know, he'll target guys and then he'll sign them and then you can say, well, is he giving or is he, he, you know, um, giving them a little bit too much money? That can be debated, but that's something that he really likes to do. And I think that by seeing players that are exposed, um, you know, the process this year makes it really interesting. In, in wheeling and dealing. And so it's not just July 1st. It's it's potentially just retooling your team, making some trades, and saying, OK, so you were willing to expose this guy or, uh, you know, the conversations are that you're willing to move this guy. How about we do this? And, and Mark, if there's one thing that he's very, very good at, uh, first of all, he's very knowledgeable of the league. He knows what's out there. He will not be surprised by a player being traded because he's on the phone a ton. And different general managers, when I spot, talk to league executives, team executives, they always say he's one of the most active GMs. So he knows who's out there right now. He knows what possibilities he could uh, you know, he could look at if he wants to sort of retool or tweak his team. And the other thing is that he's extremely hardworking. He is, you know, he is going to work his, his butt off. He knows the league. Uh, And he's got a very good knowledge as well, I think, especially this year, what his team needs. And it would be interesting because last year in the bubble, this year they would go to the Stanley Cup final. It would be kind of neat by seeing his team sort of showing him what they can do. He usually responds to that by saying, "Okay, so uh, we made it this far. What can we do to make it over the top this year? So I'm not surprised at all if Mark Bergevin tries to to add to to take some big swings, basically, to improve his team even more
0: will you be retooling your wardrobe in an effort to outdress Mark Bergevin in coming days
2: <laughs> there's no chance you know what after the last two months of, of you know everyday hockey and the playoffs and, and you know all that stuff in the Montreal Canadiens run we've been working a ton and so I've been laying off on the workouts and and I've been eating way too much so the only way I'm retooling my wardrobe is because nothing fits me right now I'm so damn fat it's embarrassing I just, need to, I just need to lay off the buffet, and I need to get, just try and find a way to fit into my, my suits, the ones that I have right now, which is, which is a challenge, trust
0: me. Okay, you tell me, what would you rather do for a year? Have to emulate Mark Bergevin's workouts? Like, you have to work out with him for an entire year, Louis, or you just have to wear the same suits he does, not necessarily on the same day, but he gets to choose your wardrobe. Which would you rather do for the next year?
2: <laughs> I'll, do this. I'll do the, the, the workouts. Because he's got some pretty wild stuff, like the Joker red suit. I I don't know, man. That uh, (laughs) talked about him. We talked about the courage he has, and he's not afraid to make some bold moves. He's not afraid to to have some bold stuff in that uh, in in that uh, wardrobe of his, too.
0: Just another reason I want him controlling a team in the National Hockey League. Just another reason. We'll have to save Grey Cup memories from Taylor Field for another day, but we'll do it at some point, buddy. I love it. Yeah, we will. Thank you very (laughs) much for doing this. Weren't you? Oh, it was fun. That was fun. Thanks, pal.
2: Cheers, my friend. All the best, guys.
0: You as well. That is Louis Jean from TVI Sports. Yes, our careers go back many years together. We covered a great cup back in the day. And some fun stories from that week, Jamie. And there will be more fun stories of the Montreal Canadiens because of what I ended with. Mark Bergevin and just how much of an outlier he is relative to most conservative general managers around the National Hockey League. The big difference between the two teams, other than the result of the Stanley Cup final, is that one team would run it back in a heartbeat if it could, and the other realizes it can't do that with the division it it goes into. Despite that great run, Montreal needs to improve its team somehow, some way. How they get there, depending on what happens in the expansion draft, it'll be very interesting this year. No, they, it, Mark Bergevin
1: can't just rest on his laurels after a Cinderella run to the Stanley Cup finals. As you said, because of that division, I mean, they might be scratching and clawing just to make the playoffs next year, right? So yeah, he has to be still being aggressive, still thinking, okay, how can I scratch and claw to improve my team for next season?
0: There are some other names out there. There were some deals made over the course of the weekend we haven't had a chance to get to, it, and we want your comments in. We've had a lot of them over the last couple of hours. We'll begin to filter them in and have that conversation with you. 96960 650 650. Yeah, there was some wheeling and dealing, and we'll dive into it next on Rentool and Sermon with Jamie Dodd.
1: Now back to Rentool and
0: Sermon. All right, get those texts in Nine sixty nine sixty six fifty six fifty. 650. Programming note, Jamie. Expected first rounder. Maybe a top 10 pick in this year's draft, which, oh, yeah, is on Friday because it's that kind <laughs> of week in the National Hockey League. Kent Johnson will be joining the program tomorrow. So get ready Let's for that. Go. Set a reminder in your exciting. phone. It is. I think I be- I read, and I'll confirm this night, but I believe I read that the University of Michigan's never had three players taken in the first round of the same draft. They might get three guys in the top 10. Owen Power yep. expected to be first overall. Matt Bennear is the next Michigan product expected to be taken, and there are a lot of people who peg Kent Johnson as a first-round top 10 pick as well.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising at all. I I mean, actually, I think it would be a little bit surprising if they didn't all go in the top 10. You know, just just, I'm not a draft expert by any stretch, but just hearing the talk that there's a a pretty clear-cut top 9, maybe top 10 if the goalie sneaks in there, but I think it's a pretty safe bet that they do all end up going in the top 10.
0: North Vancouver product, the... Top hockey player in Canadian junior hockey the last couple of years, and now off to the University of Michigan last year. Had a great season, and we look forward to speaking with him tomorrow. When I say junior hockey, I mean the CJHL. He was the top player across Canada all right get those texts in 960 960 650 650 Jamie as we anticipated on Friday we just didn't get the deals as quickly on Friday as we were hoping we left a lot of flexibility in our last program because we thought names would be flying around it took longer and it took right until the wire which I guess is the way the NHL rolls for the most part but we did see a bunch of players change places over the course of the weekend is there a deal in particular that jumped out to you
1: Well, I think the most interesting one was the three way deal. It ended up being between Philly, Nashville, and Vegas, right? That saw Ryan Ellis end up in Philadelphia. I mean, Ryan Ellis, probably the best player that got moved on the weekend, certainly the most expensive. And. Yeah, that's a that's a big gamble in some respects by Philadelphia. It was interesting from the other team's perspectives as well. You know, I know a lot, obviously Canucks fans here were really excited or a lot of them and intrigued by the addition of Jason Dickinson. But just from an NHL wide perspective, I think that has to be the most interesting trade of the weekend.
0: Was there anything in particular about that deal that made you scratch your head, or did you see a clear winner in that deal? Is it Philadelphia because they got what we consider right now the best player? Was it Nashville because they brought Myers in to help them out on the back end and were able to acquire Cody Glass out of Vegas' first-ever draft pick? They've now moved the first two draft picks they ever had in franchise history. We know all about Nick Suzuki, their second first-round pick in that expansion year being moved to Montreal. Now Cody Glass, the player they took right after Elias Pedersen winding up in Nashville, Nolan Patrick winding up in Vegas.
1: I, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say there's a clear winner where you say, oh, man, how did they get that deal from these other teams? I do like what Nashville was able to do because, man, they had a lot of salary cap issues on that team. And David Poyle now has been able to clear up a lot of space And he's done it. Look, I know Ryan Ellis is a really good player, right? It's not as if he's dead money that no one would want in their lineup. He's a very valuable player, but he's still on a long-term big-money deal at 30 years old, those aren't always the easiest things to move, right? So the fact that they were able to move the full freight of Ryan Ellis's contract and get you know some decent value back in the form of Clody Glass and Philip Myers again, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk. They're the clear winner over Philly in Vegas in that deal, but it's it's a nice piece of business for a Nashville team. Now David Poyle has a lot more flexibility than he did a few weeks ago.
0: Vancouver's move I think would qualify under that last term you used. Nice piece of business. Yep. The Canucks had a protection slot to use. They needed to improve in a number of areas on their roster. The obvious protection spot for Vancouver was up front. They went and got a player who is a low-cost option in the bottom six who has shown to be a reliable defensive player, and we all know Vancouver needs to improve defensively. A third-round pick seemed fair. It wasn't this incredible value at the time of getting Jason Dickinson, but it was a tidy piece of business.
1: No, I mean, given the circumstance the Stars are in, right, where – you look at what's left on their exposed list and there's nothing that enticing. They were probably going to lose Jason Dickinson for nothing to Seattle. So they get a third round pick. That's not a bad piece of business for them either. It's just, it's a trade that makes a lot of sense for both sides. As you say, I mean, he fills a major, major hole for the Vancouver Canucks. All of the chatter in this market here in Vancouver has been, okay, they need a third line center and they need at least one top four defenseman. Well, now you think that Jim Benning can check that box for a third line center. And as you say, He's really a defensive specialist. That's an element they have not had on that third line. Certainly not when Adam Gaudette was the pivot on that line. So Jason Dickinson brings a different dimension than they've had in recent years, and I think it's going to be a really valuable one for the Canucks as well.
0: Yeah, there are are Brandon Sutter elements to his game. He's a different player. He's a more difficult physical player to play against than Brandon Sutter. He is a penalty killer. He comes at a lower-cost option. You. Vancouver, because of the history with Jim Benning, you see a player like that acquired and the first thought in in the fearful Canucks fan mind is, well, are they going to give him like a five-year deal out of this (laughs) because of what we've seen in the past? I don't think it's going that way. This is the way that Vancouver should have been constructing its bottom six over the last couple of years. I don't know what number he gets. It's going to likely be under $3 million. He was a $1.5 million player who's got arbitration rights. He doesn't have this incredibly strong case for a raise, but he's going to get a raise.
1: Has uh, has Jim Benning called Jason Dixon and Dickinson a foundational player yet? Has that has not that gotten out there
0: yet? No. Okay. I have not even seen a comment, like a public audio comment yet, but I'm sure we will get one later this week. How about the New York Islanders moving Andrew Ladd For nothing. Nothing. Generally in a deal, you have to give something back. Now, we all know why Andrew Ladd was going to cost assets to move. It's an onerous contract that the Islanders didn't want. Apparently, he wants to play, but we haven't seen Andrew Ladd on the ice for a lot of time. They had to move three picks. Here you go. And there's some conditions attached, but here's a whole bunch of picks. Take this off our our books, usually there's something that goes back, like a conditional seventh or something. Not in this case, Jamie. This falls into the NHL category of walking by a house on the street and seeing the free stuff.
1: Free and,
0: stuff. And not just you can have this, but we'll we'll give you extra, like all, we'll provide the truck. We will do it, we'll, whatever you need to, to take this off our hands. We'll do that too. You need to do absolutely nothing.
1: It's yeah, and look, I'm going to use an analogy here. I don't want to disrespect Andrew Ladd. who's had a great career. He's a great, great guy. If you have the chance to interview him or hear him on the radio, I don't want to do that. But it is kind of like that service. You know, you're cleaning out your house and you don't want to go through all the effort of sorting everything and, and getting rid of everything yourself. So you call one of the junk removal services, right? You pay them a little bit of money and they come and they come and take it. They take it away. They take it off your hands. That's what Arizona did. They say, hey, you sweeten the deal a little bit. We'll take it off your hands. I didn't even know that was possible, that you could have a completely one sided trade in the NHL. Like, I I assumed there had to be at least a nominal something going back the other way. I mean, to reach way back into like the foggy recesses of my mind, when I went to law school, I, I recall this principle that for a contract to be binding, there had to be something going both ways, right? Like, apparently, not in the NHL, though.
0: It was strange. It was almost like an expansion draft, wasn't it? Like, here's what we'll pay you to take this off our roster, and you don't have to give yep. anything back. Well, usually it only happens in an expansion draft, not in what you are calling a trade, because for a trade to be something, there needs to be an exchange, and I don't see what the exchange is here. That's how Lou Lamorello rolls, though. If something's going to be done for the first time in the National Hockey League concerning business, he's often the guy behind it.
1: Well, and you wonder if, you know, Arizona was, you know, even broached it like, hey, I mean, look, I know we're, you know, we're kind of doing you a favor here and that's great. Do you want, you know, this this guy who just split time between the ECHL and the AHL for us, right? You know, not really a prospect, but maybe his organization filler. Do you want that guy? And I can imagine Lou Lamorell being, no, we're fine. We're good. <laughs> just take it. Just take Andrew Ladd. We're fine.
0: The texts continue to roll in. Let's get to some of them now, as promised, Jamie. This from John in Vancouver. The Leafs acquiring 25-year-old Southern Ontario-born Jared McCann and leaving him unprotected so they will have either him or Kerfoot after Wednesday. Nice piece of chess work by Dubas. I think that's how a lot of people saw it, and that is there's a very good case to to be made that that's what seattle does with its pick they either take jared mccann who's slightly less money and doesn't have the term left on his contract as alex kerfoot who comes in at three and a half and has multiple years left on his deal there is a school of thought that because seattle jamie is said to be going the defensive depth route that vegas took that maybe just maybe travis Dermott is the player selected out of toronto the other wrinkle
1: with that one is, you know, people in the the analytics, the advanced stats community in the NHL, at least publicly tend to be very, very high on Jared McCann. really like his mm-hmm. potential as a player and we know seattle has invested a lot into that department of their front office right so if the the people in seattle's analytics department if their view matches up with what we hear publicly from a lot of those people i mean i think there's a very good chance that they see more value in jared mccann yeah they want to load up on defensemen but centers are really important too and i mean what has still been vegas's achilles heel right an inability to find high-end centers so if the people in Seattle's front office think Jared McCann has a chance to develop into that, to a legit top six center, I think they get, they're they going to see more value in him or Alex Kerfoot potentially than Travis Dermott.
0: It's a very good point that you make. Keep those texts coming in. There are some difficult decisions out there. You look at Toronto's roster, and we just mentioned three options that you, you have if you're Seattle, Kerfoot, McCann, or potentially Dermott off the back end. This one comes in. Take Dunn or flip Tarasenko. So many interesting moving parts. Gio, as in Mark Giordano, should be a slam dunk pick. His one-year term makes it almost a no-brainer. Not sure why Tre Living didn't move him for some assets at the trade deadline. It's because there aren't enough teams that had protection slots. It simply comes down to that. There were only a few people at the table in a spot like Vancouver was in, Jamie, where they said, well, we can take a guy and we can protect him. There were other teams that want defensemen and would be happy to get Mark Giordano after what goes down on Wednesday if Seattle's willing to move him. But right now, they couldn't take him on because they had too many defensemen they were already trying to protect.
1: Yeah, again, because of the the way the protection format is structured, you know, the vast majority of teams decide to go seven forwards and three defensemen. And inevitably, you know, as you say, that leaves fewer spots for good defensemen to be protected. There's just not that many teams out there that are looking around and struggling to find three D-men to protect. And the ones that are, you know, they're probably earlier in their rebuilding stage. Maybe they're not immediately looking out and going at getting a guy like Mark Giordano at this stage of his career.
0: There'll be a market, and it's whether or not Seattle wants to hold on to him. I agree. It feels like a slam-dunk pick. There are a few of them, aren't there? Like, there are a few slam-dunk picks that I'll be surprised. Jake Bean feels like a slam-dunk pick out of Carolina. Ron Francis drafted him. He's sitting there. He's a low-cost, controllable defensive asset. If they don't select Jake Bean, I'll be surprised.
1: Jake Bean is up there. I would potentially look at Hayden Fleury out of Anaheim, maybe not mm-hmm. quite at the same level, but again, just with the emphasis on defenseman, he's still relatively young. He's cheap, cost-controlled for another year. That seems like a very logical play for me as well out of Anaheim.
0: Yep, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Is Yanni Gore to slam dunk for you? Tampa Bay has a number of attractive players, we all know that, and they couldn't protect everybody, and they didn't really get out ahead of this. Tampa Bay decided it wasn't going to deal a bunch of those players and take assets. Tampa Bay is more taking the route, okay, you're going to help us shed some salary here because it's a necessary evil and we've got some cap constraints (laughs) I don't want to go down that road again, but we all know they've got some some cap issues that they need to take care of. So they're going to lose a player. They're also going to shed some salary, and they decided they would rather be in control of those assets after this expansion draft than before.
1: You know, I wouldn't necessarily call Yanni Gord a slam dunk. He's an interesting pick. I imagine mm-hmm. Seattle will take a long, hard look at him because it is going to be really difficult to get high-quality centers through this process, as, again, we've seen – with vegas but you also look at it you know he's making just over 5 million through 2025. that's still a good chunk of term left and it really comes down to we've talked about this throughout the course of the show scotty like where are they going to use their big swings on guys with money and term look just over 5 million it's not in the Carey price stratosphere it's not even in the vladimir tarasenko stratosphere but that's still a significant commitment he's 29 and you'd be asking him to move up in the lineup and take on a bigger role so It can work, but it's not an obvious no-risk decision to me, especially when you look at, you know, Andre Pallot making roughly the same money, but he only has one more year left on his deal. He's a winger, so you're not getting value there, but the risk is significantly lower, right? Jan Ruda, right-shot defenseman, on a very reasonable contract. Does he have value around the league? Could you flip him for assets if that's the route you want to go? So. Because there are enough talented players on Tampa's exposed list, I don't think it's a slam dunk with Yanni Gord. There's enough question marks there that – you at least got to consider the other options you have out of the lightning.
0: Alex Kalorn is available there as well. There'd be yep. a good case to add him. He is under contract for the next three seasons, or probably next two seasons. In the case of Kalorn as well, slightly less cap hit, about half a million dollars, a little bit more, maybe six hundred thousand dollars between Yanni Gord. There are good. There are good cases to be made. I think one of the things that would surprise many because. It wasn't tracked in the regular season as closely as, as in other years. We, we talked about this a lot with the Northern Division and the only only divisional play this past year. Like Andre Pallot is the highest-scoring player available right now from last season. If you just look at last season number, he had 46 points last year. That might surprise some people. If it's me and I'm Ron Francis, I'm taking Yanni Gore. Center is a premium position. I think it's going to be difficult to get talented players centers unless you're going to do some trading afterwards. I would take Yanni Gore, but you make a very good case for some other players.
1: Yeah, again, it's not, I'm not saying, oh, they'd be crazy to take Yanni Gord. But, you know, because Tampa has this embarrassment of riches, as we saw in the Stanley Cup Finals and before that in the playoffs, you have to think about some of the other guys. I mean, we just got a texter saying, hey, what about Ross Colton? He's 24. He plays center. Obviously not really established, but he got a little taste of action in the Stanley Cup Final. I mean, if they wanted to take someone with some upside who can play center but is still young and still cheap – Uh, Matthew Joseph would have to be in that conversation as well. Tampa is a fascinating one because there's just so many different directions you can go, and no matter what you do, you feel pretty good, you're getting a good pick from that organization.
0: I may have misread that text earlier about Mark Giordano. I I took it to mean, why didn't you trade him before the expansion draft? If it was before the trade deadline, and I said that and took it a different way, yeah, someone texted in saying, hey, they had takers, but they, they believe they can make the playoffs. I agree with that. That's why the asset wasn't moved at that time. I agree with that, that they thought they could push in and they might be able to get on a run under Daryl Sutter. So if I read that incorrectly, my apologies. Brendan and Nanaimo, why didn't the Canucks trade a third for McCann? Would much rather have him instead of Dickinson. Much different type of player. Jared McCann, while his analytics suggest he's good at both ends of the ice, you're talking about a guy who is a for sure third-line center. Jared McCann still some... Debate as to whether his, whether his best position is actually at center or on the wing. Pretty good case to be made that he's a, a winger instead of a center. That's part of it. And if Jared McCann is your third-line center, you're asking him to do different things than Jason Dickinson, and Jamie.
1: Yeah, you are definitely asking him to do different things. And, you know, I would also say that the prospect the Leafs gave up was, you know, I don't think that's equivalent to a third-round pick. They liked Hollander, right, the guy that they – Sent it to Pittsburgh for McCann. So, yeah, you hear seventh rounder and a prospect, and you think, oh man, that's nothing. The Canucks should have been in on that. But the prospect does have some value here. So if you try to translate that to giving up an equivalent player from the Canucks system, I'm not sure exactly who that would be, but it's not a one-to-one comparison there for the deal
0: they made for Dickinson. Text coming in. I think Seattle takes Ross Colton from the lightning. Yep. There's a case to be made for Ross Colton as well, and certainly a much lower cost asset. We've heard one of the things out of Seattle is financial flexibility. That's top of mind with Seattle's front office, maintain financial flexibility that said, you do have to spend a certain amount of money here. You've got to get yep. to, what, 60% of the salary cap with your expansion draft selections, and there's a certain number of contracts. You've got to select 14 forwards, 9 defensemen, and these are minimums. You've got to select 3 goaltenders. After that, you can play around with your other picks, but you got to have 20 contracts that are not UFA as well. There are a lot of different factors that play into it. Yeah, you can make a case for Ross Colton and some of it's dependent on where you try to acquire your higher end talent throughout this expansion process.
1: Yeah, Cal Foot, another guy and again, you know, 22 right shot defenseman on RFA, you do that, you could probably immediately flip turn around and try to flip him as part of a package for another high end player that you might have your eye on or you keep him for the future. I mean, Tampa might have one of the most interesting situations of all of these expansion teams when you're just looking at the different directions that Seattle could go. There's so many different routes they could go just with the Tampa Bay Lightning.
0: Well, really, this comes back to Carey Price, and he's not the only thing, Jamie, but he is such a head-scratcher because a goaltender like that wasn't expected to be available. We know what a mitigating factor a goaltender can be. It can make up for a lot of other areas on the ice, but then there's the health, the heft of the contract. The real question with Seattle, when you're trying to put this all together, is where do you start? Like, what do you prioritize in your list? Because as you as you make that decision, now you start to see the dominoes fall. Look, there are teams out there that if Seattle had the choice, it would just say, thanks, I'm good. You keep what you've got. I don't want to take a player. And maybe those are teams that you burn one of those UFAs you don't plan on re-signing. Maybe that's where you go with that decision on certain clubs. But where you begin, it starts to impact everything else.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why they probably the first I mean, probably the first decision they have to make that they're still working on, you know, outside of as we say a few slam dunk decisions where there's one clear player that they want to take, but probably the number one decision they have to make is carry price, right? Because as you say, that's going to affect your entire strategy. Whether you know whether it be how willing you are to take on uh, take on salary, you know, if you want to build your team more for the future or more for the first couple of years that you're in the league. Like the Carey Price decision has a massive domino effect on
0: everything else they do in the
1: expansion draft.
0: Yeah. And there's a couple of variables associated with that. Obviously, Carey Price is comfortable enough that this is a possibility that he would sign off going to Washington. People have made the connection with his junior hockey, his wife, all of those different things. Certainly the Marc-Andre Fleury example plays into this as well. These conversations that you're having, like, how bad does he want to be here? I would love to know from Carey Price, what does he actually want for next season? Like, if you injected truth serum, and it didn't have to be public, but you got to hear the answer. Does he want to remain in Montreal, play his career out there, take another run at this over the next couple of years, tandem with Jake Allen? Does he want out of that pressure-packed market and do something a little different now that he's achieved almost everything he could? Individually, he did already. Team-wise, he got really close. I would love to know in his heart of hearts what Carey Price wants to do next year.
1: It would be fascinating. It must, to me, it seems like it must be similar to what you described, Mark Bergevin, and how he feels about it, right? Where, okay, it's not that he necessarily wants to lose Carey Price, he doesn't, but he also has a certain level of comfort if that does happen, right? He's thought about it and he knows how he could handle it and that it would open up a lot of opportunities. I imagine it's something similar with Carey Price, right? Where he probably feels very, very comfortable with either option. Extremely comfortable staying in Montreal or, hey, if Seattle does does decide to take me, there's a lot of familiarity with the area. My wife is from there. That would be a great fit, too. I mean, that's really the only way he would make the decision to to leave himself unprotected. So you got to think... I mean, it's pretty close to a 50-50 decision for him, right? Otherwise, you have the ability to direct where you want to go.
0: Perhaps the biggest indicator of just how busy and fascinating this NHL weekend was is that we are three hours into this show, and we haven't even mentioned it yet. I promise you we will next right here on Rintoul & Sermon with Jamie Dodd.
1: Now back to Rintoul & Sermon.
0: As demanded by Jamie Dodd. We roll into the final hour of the program with some Macklemore. Whoa, now, why, whoa, whoa. Did, why did you demand that we came into this with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis? I, I gotta I gotta set the record straight <laughs> here. No, this is the last
1: <laughs> thing. The last thing I wanted to hear. I mean, okay, look, here's here's the tie-in, right? So we know the expansion draft in Seattle is coming up on Wednesday and they're going to make this a big deal. They're going to try to get some local celebrities out, really try to put this on the map. So here, here's the, I'll, I'll read you some of the names that are going to be involved in presenting the Seattle expansion draft, right? So you got Sue Bird, legendary WNBA player, women's basketball player at the Olympic level for the United States, sports legend in Seattle, Marshawn Lynch, we all know about him, legend, in Seattle. Sean Kemp and Gary Payton, again, Seattle legends in their days with the Seattle Supersonics. Lenny Wilkins, you gotta go back a ways, but he coached the Seattle Supersonics team that won an NBA title. He's a basketball Hall of Famer himself. Bobby Wagner, current long-time star for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, I will give you You got Jordan Morris from the Sanders, Kyle Lewis from the Mariners. I'm not saying they approach legend status, but at least they're current players for Seattle sports teams. I understand where the Kraken is going, trying to include those teams in the process as well. Add up all of those athletic Seattle legends or current stars, And then McLemore is involved for some reason as well. McLemore, he's a one-hit wonder. His one hit was eight years ago. How did he get on that list with Sue Bird and Marshawn Lynch and Sean Kemp and Gary Payton? It's ridiculous. He belongs nowhere
0: near that group. There are McLemore fans out there that are going to say there is more than one hit. I'm waiting to hear from them at 960, 960, 650, 650. So that point about one-hit wonder is somewhat debatable. I agree his... Star has had some sheen come off it. When he was at his zenith, he was rolling with the Seattle Seahawks, and he was on the plane. You'll remember he was on the plane coming back from their Super Bowl victory in New York. Pete Carroll had him on. He was a big deal at the time. Yeah, he's not at the same star level right now, but I will say this: and and Seattle does have a rich music history. Love uh, visiting the AMP in Seattle. It's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. What if they got turned down by other musical legends? What if they got turned down? Like maybe Eddie Vedder was busy, for example.
1: Yeah, I mean, Eddie Vedder is the obvious name, right? And I understand that. Eddie Vedder maybe said no, was busy, didn't want to do it for whatever reason. That's his right. Okay, fine. Just don't don't put a, a a square peg in a round hole here. And that's what I think has happened. They say, ah, we gotta find someone from the music industry. Ah, uh, who's available? Macklemore? Okay. Well, come on. You don't need Macklemore. You got a great list. Otherwise. Don't don't sully it by including Macklemore.
0: But maybe you want something that's a little more current than going back to, say, the grunge days. And unfortunately, there are some pretty prominent members of those bands who are no longer with us, Jamie, so yep. they didn't have that as an option. Like, look, would it have been better to get Dave Grohl to roll up? Yeah, maybe, but we're talking about a completely different genre of music, depending on what you're looking for here with your announcement. I think the list is great. I think it's fantastic. Are you surprised at all Russell Wilson is not among those listed?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, he would have been an interesting one. I don't know if he's, uh, maybe he's too busy vacationing in uh, in Italy still. I don't know. Bobby Wagner, you know, doesn't have the same star power, but certainly a beloved figure for Seattle Seahawks fans. But yeah, Russell Wilson would have would have made a big impact for sure.
0: Okay, so you've listed a lot of the celebrities that are going to be here, whether they're from music in the case of McLemore or from the sporting world decades gone by or current with their team right now. On that list, is Marshawn Lynch the most obvious? He's going to be the moment of the unveiling outside of the players that are actually named? Or could it be Sean Camp or Gary Payton? It's probably going to be Marshawn Lynch. I do love the text here that
1: says they should have got Liam Neeson come in to say unleash the Kraken. That would have been very, very good if they could have swung Liam Neeson. But probably of the guys who are going to be there, yeah, Marshawn Lynch is
0: the appointment viewing. Who's to say that they don't? Like, who's to say that's not going to happen with Seattle? I'm not going to sit here unequivocally today on Monday and tell you with the amount of pull they have from the movie world, with Jerry Bruckenheimer being behind this, that they can't pull... Liam Neeson in, that just might happen. Uh, Maybe it's video, maybe it's not live Liam Neeson in Seattle, but I certainly will not stand here 48 hours before this goes down and say, there's no way Liam Neeson's going to be a part of this. Wouldn't that be the great splash and the great reveal to have him do that? It would be fantastic.
1: Yeah. It would be awesome. And I will say, oh, we're getting the how dare you call Macklemore a one hit wonder uh text. Look, I'm I'm not going to apologize. One person texted in what? Have you have you ever listened to macklemore He's got a bunch of hits. And I will say no. I and I don't, hey, if you if that's your your uh your cup of tea, I have no problem with that. But no, I have never voluntarily put on some Macklemore music. I've heard obviously his one famous song, his most famous song. I, I, excuse me, I'm not familiar with his, his larger body of work, though.
0: You have never willingly put on a Macklemore song. Is that what I just heard? That is correct. Wow. I guess we are separated by that. I have willingly put on Macklemore's music before. Someone else, Troy, says Macklemore is to Seattle what Drake is to Toronto. I'm not sure that's an exact parallel. I look, I'm not a Drake super fan or
1: anything, so I'm not gonna go to bat for Drake. My understanding as an outsider looking at this is that Drake is a much bigger star than Macklemore.
0: Yeah, I agree. Now, maybe Macklemore is to Seattle's sports scene what Drake is to Toronto's sports scene, like as far as current musical artists go. Like we could debate that. Sure, maybe.
1: I do like, I gotta get this one. I think this is the best defense of it from Sean from Waterloo. He says, it's really thrift Shop, good. the Macklemore hit I'm talking about, for the expansion draft, is that song not the perfect summary of what the Kraken are doing? Yeah, that's the best argument for it here. Is that his most famous song is perfect thematically for what the Kraken are doing in the expansion draft? Even the line about, like, hey, I'm wearing your cast off, your granddad's clothes, but I look incredible. Yeah, if you wanna make a defense of it, it's not about his entire body of work. It's that that song matches the insp- expansion draft.
0: And Sean from Waterloo goes on to throw a little parody name in there. This is Kraken Awesome instead of the word that we didn't hear because we played the clean <laughs> version of that hook coming in. That's a it's a fair point made by Sean. I think it's a really good argument. Marcus and Gibson's also coming to the defense of McLemore. More than a one-hit wonder. When you were talking about him, I thought you said McElroy, who is also a bit... Of a one-year wonder. A lot of people coming to the defense of Macklemore. I'm but surprised. I, I, we he... should
1: say I do, I do have some people on my side as well saying, yes, he's absolutely a one-hit wonder or I've never heard that song before. So I'm not completely alone on this.
0: What about Fraser Crane? LOL, says Dan. Yeah, that's where the show was based. Uh, maybe Tom Hanks rolls in for a little Sleepless in Seattle. I don't know, Jamie. I'm not sure.
1: That would be good. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Tom Hanks, that would be a huge get. Absolutely. I, I don't I don't think there's a strong enough connection there just because he was in a Seattle based movie. But if you can get Tom Hanks, you get Tom Hanks.
0: You know who they're not getting in the expansion draft? They're not getting Miro Haskin in. This is how busy the NHL weekend was. There were so many trades. There were surprises with protected lists that we have not mentioned until now the massive deal that Miro and signed down in Dallas, and the ramifications that come with it, he gets an eight-year deal, 8.45 per season. Most people look at the deal and go, yep, yeah, I'm not eager to give out term to a lot of players and not eager to sign up for an eight-plus million-dollar cap hit, but for that guy, that sounds pretty good. At least that's the way I saw the deal. How about you? Yeah, very high upside deal,
1: I think, for the Dallas Stars, right? And it's a lot now, based on what defensemen generally get on their second contract, right? I think this this kind of breaks the Thomas Shabbat record in Ottawa. But with what he's already done in the league, you feel pretty good about it, right? And you have now you have that certainty. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry, oh man, in two years, you know, we signed him to this bridge, but now he's gonna get another big raise in two years. You know exactly what you're spending on Mira Heiskanen for the next eight seasons. And whether it's this year or the year after, I think it's going to look like a very, very good deal very soon if he continues on anything like the development track he's already been on in the NHL.
0: Now, if you're Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, and their camps, you're saying if you want an eight as far as term with me, if you want a lengthy deal, it's going to need to look something like this, right?
1: You would think so, certainly. And it's a little different. I, I know for Quinn Hughes, I believe Kale McCarr is in a similar situation, or is he, where he can't get off or sheeted? So that decreases the leverage a little bit. But yeah, this is probably the ballpark you're looking at if you want to lock those guys up long term.
0: Now, it would be hard for Hughes, as good as he's been offensively, he certainly backpedaled as far as defensive work last season went. It would be hard for him to make a case for more money than this, but his agents will argue the offensive upside. Haskinen didn't have this exemplary year that many of us thought he would. He came out of the bubble when he was so good. Very good case to be made that if Dallas wins the cup, that might have been your con Smythe Trophy winner. He at least had a presentable case for that award. He didn't follow it up with his banner Norris contending season. We all know how rife Dallas was with COVID problems last year and how much that impacted the season of the Dallas Stars. But he looks as about a sure bet as you're going to find. Kale McCarr is there as well. It was a tough year. We all know that for Quinn Hughes defensively. The offensive, like in a bad year, his offensive, would he still have 38 assists, 40 assists this past season. We know the offensive upside is there. There are questions about the defensive game moving forward, but most people are pretty confident he's going to be great. It would be tough for him to argue beyond that. Kale McCarr would have a case, but Colorado, as we've talked about in the past, it has some contractual situations it has to work in and around with Kale McCarr. It certainly does,
1: right? They've got a lot. It's not as easy as saying, hey, we want to sign you for eight years. What's your number, right? Because that might might not work for a lot of the other things that they want to get done. I mean, not least of which is Gabe Landis And we'll see how much negotiation still happens between those two sides. We know it hasn't gone as well as it could have, certainly. And there's a real chance that they lose Landis But yeah, it's they might have to get a little bit more creative, right? Dallas had the flexibility to say, look, you're going to be a cornerstone piece for us. Eight years, let's get it done. Colorado doesn't have that same luxury right now.
0: Haskin is a better all-around D-man than Hughes comes this text. I would agree with that right now. It's it's difficult to make an argument beyond that. Kale McCarr, a little closer and more offensive upside with Kale McCarr as well. Quinn Hughes still feels like he is headed for the old bridge deal. And just to update Jamie, he, McCarr is not in that same 10.2C right. like Quinn Hughes. He is offer sheet eligible Boy, would that be like in a week of surprises Q oh oh Something like that came out? Feels like it won't get there. And Kale McCarr feels like priority priority number one in Colorado and has been for quite some time, especially with the, the Landis Cog situation. We can argue about whether he should be or not because he's restricted as opposed to unrestricted. But yeah, I would agree with that case. Eiskin is a better all around defenseman than Quinn Hughes. They're just they're different in what they do. You know who we haven't mentioned in this discussion? Rasmus Stalin, first overall pick that year. Where does his next contract go? Is he signing a bridge simply because they haven't been exemplary years so far in the National Hockey League and he wants to prove that he is better than he's shown so far and he's going to cash it at some point in the future when there's a better financial landscape? What does his contract look like in Buffalo? I think it probably has to be
1: a bridge. For one, the reason you mentioned, right, where he's got to think – he has a good chance to increase his value in the coming years. But also, is Buffalo sold on Rasmus Dalian for the long term, right? Do they want to go seven or eight years, even if it means getting him at a slightly lower cap hit right now? You know, because like his point production has been there. He's been very solid offensively, but there are a lot of questions about his overall game and it's not clear to me that he's in that same category as a Heiskanen or a Makar or a Hughes. I would lock up all three of those guys long-term. Yeah, even Quinn Hughes with the questions about his defensive game right now, I would still make that bet on him. I'm not sure I would with Rasmus Dahlin. The upside is very, very high, but there's enough question marks there to at least make you a little cautious. So I think that's a case where from a Sabres perspective and from a player's perspective, they're probably content to say, let's go two or three years because we both have... much
0: we'll probably have a much
1: better idea of what we want to do in a couple of seasons' time.
0: It's always a it's always an interesting situation when this one comes up because people will point to Nathan McKinnon. Now, Rasmus Dahlien was not the rookie of the year like Nathan McKinnon was, but the reason Colorado has been in this beneficial financial situation for the last few years is because Nathan McKinnon wasn't killing it when he came up for his contract. And when they paid him, people forget this because of how good he is now. When they paid Nathan McKinnon, part of the conversation in Denver was, did they give him too much? Did they actually overextend here? Have we seen enough to believe that term and this type of cap hit is worth it and those conversations have died down, and nobody wants to turn in their receipts if they were those making that argument. With Rasmus Dahlin, that's the flip side of this, Jamie, yeah. that because he hasn't performed at this point, you could go term, you'll get him at what you hope is going to be a much lower number than he eventually is going to be worth. So if you really are of the courage of convictions, you actually go the other direction with this. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, Buffalo has a similar
1: issue with what Columbus is dealing, right? Like the the trouble attracting and retaining star talent. So if you do have a bit of leverage over Rasmus Dalin right now, right? He hasn't necessarily lived up to expectations as the first overall pick. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that is something you choose to explore because you look at this and say, this might be one of the best opportunities we're going to get to get a star level player under contract for a long time here in Buffalo. If he's feeling the pinch a little bit.
0: Lots of names flying around. We had a question come in here. What are your thoughts on bringing in Nikita Gusev to fill out the top nine in Vancouver? Someone to help Vasily Podkolzin as well, who's expected to make the transition to the National Hockey League next season, the Canucks first rounder from a couple of years ago. Gusev's a real wild card. I'm not sure with a team that needs to have a little more certainty In its top nine, that's the direction I'd be casting my line first and foremost. Jamie, it's really mixed reviews. Remember when Gusev came over, people thought it was going to be a really big deal, that it was going to work out. and We saw a 44-point season in New Jersey a couple of years ago. This past season, a little bit injured, didn't play the whole time. Florida Panthers picked him up from the Devils. Last season, underwhelming for sure. I mean, you can make the higher ceiling, low risk gamble. I don't know what Gusev is going to command on the free agent market. Vancouver strikes me as a team that would want a little more certainty than he provides.
1: Yeah, the bloom has kind of come off the Nikita Gusev idea a little bit. It doesn't seem like the most logical target for me, especially when you consider some of the other needs they have. But it does just illustrate, like there's so many potential targets and potential names out there, right? And it, it really seems like almost every team in the NHL is open for business in some regard right now. They're, they're willing to consider things they normally would not be willing to consider because of these unique circumstances with the flat salary cap and the expansion draft. It's creating so many interesting conversations, I think, between teams, certainly between us and the fans and the listeners here. like It feels like almost anything could happen right now that's the mode that teams are in
0: well when you see Carey Price available for selection yeah yep. it feels like anything could happen you're right about that that's the next text that comes in Seattle could be looking at Carey Price the same way Vegas looked at quote done Marc-Andre Fleury in Pittsburgh this could be scary for the West if Kerry comes here you can sell Kerry Price to new Seattle fans I don't know if you can sell Drejer That's the rumor that there's a deal in place. They're going to get something done with Dredger out of Florida. UFA goaltender, that will be a value contract, or so they would hope. Outperformed his minuscule number this year on the cap in Florida, was outperforming a $10 million man in Sergei Bobrovsky. Do you sign him to be part of a tandem? Do you sign him as the reliable backup so you don't have to play carry price that much. There's a bunch of different ways they can go with it. Braden Holpe's name is one that has to be factored in here as well. Jamie, we've heard Seattle connected to him. Does Vancouver need to take on any money? It's the point I was trying to make when my connection was lost last week is that hearing there's more interest on the market for Braden Holpe actually gives Jim Benning a little bit of leverage in that discussion. Holpe was not surprisingly exposed in, in the expansion draft and if there are other teams that are interested in Braden Holpe's services, that should be a reinforcing point that you can use that leverage against Seattle that, hey, if you want the player, that's fine. We don't have to eat a bunch of the salary to make it happen.
1: Yeah, right now, it feels more likely that if Braden Holpe does move on from Vancouver, it's to a team other than Seattle. And part of it is just because, well, hey, there's other teams interested that might be willing to do it at full freight. That's that's leverage that Jim Benning has. But I also just think... You look at the other goaltending options available to Seattle, and they're probably going to be more cost effective. Is that really where they want to commit a chunk of their cap? They would probably only do it if they could get Vancouver to retain a certain amount, right? And, and you work out a side deal that says, hey, we'll take Braden Holby off your hands, but you have to retain a little bit of it. That would make sense. But there's other more cost-effective options, and you couple that with the fact that Jim Benning has the leverage of other teams. How much incentive is there for Seattle to do that? So, yeah, I know a lot of people in their, you know, a lot of Vancouver fans and our listeners in their kind of Seattle mock expansion drafts
0: have been been
1: putting Braden Holtby on the Kraken, but I think it's more likely he goes somewhere else
0: right now. Sean from Waterloo gets in for the second text this segment. Good for you, Sean. 99% Landis Cog has a deal with Colorado just awaiting his signature so they don't need to protect him. It doesn't feel quite that way. That's Ovechkin in Washington, no question. Yeah. It doesn't feel quite that way with Landis Cog If it is that, Sean, if you are in fact correct, then it's an incredible hand of poker being played by Gabriel Landis Cog not the Colorado Avalanche here. For those comments to come out and for those who have covered him for quite some time to say, yeah, he's a little bit rankled. Hey, both sides want the same thing, but maybe it's a matter of respect as to where he fits in their plans. Maybe it's a matter of term. Gabriel Landeskog's playing high-level poker, if that's the fact, and he's putting those quotes out there right now. And the thing
1: about that theory, I understand where Sean is coming from, but... You know, if your if your plan is, hey, I'm not going to sign my due deal until after the expansion draft, so the team doesn't need to use a protection slot on me. Like you don't need to bluff. You know, you can pretty you can be pretty open about that's what's happening. Like that's no one's lying about it in Washington and or with with Alex Ovechkin, right? Like they're being pretty honest. Like, hey, yeah, we're probably going to get a deal done, but we'll just do it out after the expansion draft. I don't really know what the upside is of putting out this smoke screen, right? Because you don't need, you just, if, if Gabe Landeskog wants to return to Colorado, he can just politely turn down Seattle's phone call when they call him, right? If that's the route they want to go. So I, I think the smoke there is real where, you know, the, I think it's because there is actual po- a possibility that Gabe Landeskog leaves the
0: Colorado avalanche. I agree with you. I agree. Someone saying is Rask being overlooked? No, I don't believe so because Tuka Rask feels a lot closer to the Alexander Ovechkin situation than he does to some of the other situations. Rask has said, like, I'm going to play in Boston or I'm not going to play. Like, he literally came out and said that. And when you make that declarative of a statement and you have a goaltender who needs surgery and isn't going to be available for at least a chunk of next season, it doesn't make sense for Seattle to select Tuka Rask.
1: No, I don't think so. And that's, an, again, another kind of high-profile UFA that, you know, you, you see these names on the unprotected list, and you think, oh my goodness, is that a real possibility? And, I mean, realistically, most of them, it's it's a similar case with Ovechkin in Washington, right, where those guys still control their destiny, and unless they are really jonesing to go to Seattle, that's probably not how it's going to happen.
0: Holtby is the choice on every mock expansion draft I've read from every outlet, not just local fans. Find one mock expansion draft online that guesses otherwise. I won't have to look that far, Texter. I won't, no, no. I won't have to look that far. And I agree with the Texter that a lot of the expansion draft models do have Braden Holpe there. While he does come with a high-cost actual salary rise relative to his cap hit, like let's say you are going Dreger, which everyone says Seattle is going to do. They're going to come to an agreement with him as a UFA, and you want a veteran backup, but you don't want to be tied to term. Braden Holpe is that. He is most certainly that. He's a good teammate. All of those different things. You can make a very credible case that it's Braden holby if that's the way you want to go. But I can find you plenty of mock drafts, especially given the Carey Price situation. Look, the com- the community in hockey is split on the Carey Price thing right now. I've listened to radio across this country and listened to fans chime in, and at best it's 60-40. Like, th- there's the case, Jamie, being made that He's too much of a cap hit. He's too injured. Why would you do that? And there's the other part of, how are you going to get a goalie like that again? And if he actually is going to go on LTIR before the end of his contract, that's not as much risk as perhaps you're making it out to be. There, Listen, if you're going carry Price, for example, and there's a bunch of mock drafts out there that are, then Brayden Holtby isn't even a consideration in the equation. No. Yeah, no, it's it's
1: out it's out of bounds immediately, right? If they take Carey Price, and that goes back to what we're saying, With you know, Carey Price is the first domino to fall here. It affects so much of what they do. But you're right. It's it just again, it's hard to see them. I don't know. For me, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it with Braden Holby. I guess that's what it comes down to. I know there's a lot of people who are projecting that, and in part that's because the other options from the Canucks are not all that enticing, right? You're probably looking at a, a Cole Lind, Matthew Highmore, Zach McEwen, like not necessarily somebody that really excites you if, you if you're the Seattle Kraken. It's just with the goaltending options available to them, I think ultimately they might consider Brayden Holby. They might like really really like Brayden Holby for a number of reasons. I'm not disputing that. But I think when the rubber hits the road, they're going to go a different
0: direction. There are more people defending Macklemore's good name than there are selecting Braden Holpey in the expansion draft for their mocks. I can tell you that, Jamie, the listeners have pushed back on your uh, Macklemore uh, take uh, earlier this hour. We're having some fun with it at the end. Well, I do want, oh,
1: I just want, I want to get in on that because one text came in. And was like, oh, if you say that about Macklemore, that means you're old. And to that texture I say, correct. I am old. I, I am old at heart, certainly when it comes to pop music, like guilty as charged in that respect.
0: More Macklemore, more talking points from the National Hockey League when we return. Final segment, Rental and Sermon with Jamie Dodd.
1: Now back to Rintoul and Sermon.
0: All Macklemore all the time. Jamie, this one comes in. I will one-up you guys. Well, it's not me. <laughs> you're, one- you're one-upping Jamie here, okay, even though I'm older than Jamie. I had heard more of his hits. I would have called Macklemore more than a one-hit wonder, which Jamie did earlier this hour, and he's taking some flack for that. Dave straight out of Bernie says, i one-up you guys. I've never even heard of Macklemore, so I guess I'm old. <laughs> Also, what's Montreal's plan regarding (laughs) goaltending if Price goes? (laughs) He's much older than you, apparently, Jamie. Never even heard of Macklemore, in fact. So consider yourself closer to a youth movement than Dave.
1: You know what? I think this um, this is a teachable moment here for all of us, Scott. Because, you know, it's important to remember we're all dealing with different like, levels of exposure to pop culture, right? And some things we think are, you know... Oh, everyone's... Like, we've we've had this discussion with Karen in movies, right? Where a certain movie comes up, you know, oh, you have to have seen that one, right? And she's like, nope, nope, I haven't. And I think that's me with Macklemore, right? Everyone's listing songs. Some of them I vaguely... Like, I kind of remember the title, but I couldn't tell you anything about the song. So that's where I'm coming from when I say one hit wonder. Because the only Macklemore song I could definitively identify and know anything about is his first one the thrift shop one
0: i expect that you'll spend the rest of your afternoon digging up some of macklemore's tracks educating yourself i imagine that's what you'll do today and i
1: also want to be clear i'm not saying like oh if, if you know if you've, you've got it all wrong if you like macklemore i don't i don't i'm not saying that at all because i don't know his music so i have no way of commenting on that right and again i'm going to kind of inadvertently uh, reveal my ignorance here was that a macklemore song we just yes. heard coming back in yes okay so yes, I've heard that song before, but I couldn't tell you the name, and obviously I did not know it was Macklemore.
0: Now you do. Now you do. Now to answer now Dave's question. To answer Dave's question in a very brief form, I'm not sure exactly what they do if Seattle selects Price, and I'm talking Montreal here, Dave. There are a bunch of directions they can go. It means probably more work for Jake Allen. Would they simply promote Caden Primo and keep it as a very low cost goaltending position? That's one possibility. There are also some other goaltenders available out there, Jamie. One of the things that you have to realize is that if some of these goalies are available, it's for expansion purposes, but also there might be further deals to be made. If if Montreal loses Carey Price, if Vancouver loses Braden Holpe, there's probably a stopgap that is, is needed at the very least. You know, Mikey DiPietro... Could be an option in Vancouver, but is he probably better served by playing a full slate of AHL games next year? Yeah, that's probably better for his development. So there's just a number of different ways you could go, and what do you do with the increased flexibility? Certainly in Montreal's case, they would have options with the kind of money that would be available if Carey Price ended up in Seattle.
1: And just as we continue the goaltending and the expansion talk, Elliot Friedman, our very own Sportsnet Insider, reporting that You know, an anticipated piece of the puzzle is very close to coming into place for Seattle. They are very close to a deal uh, locking up Florida's Chris Dreger at three years times 3.5 million AAV. And Friedman says, I don't believe that precludes them from selecting price, but one goalie appears to be locked in. So not a huge surprise, but we've got a little bit of certainty. And we've also got uh, some reporting from Friedman on the price and the value they're getting on Drejer.
0: Well, and I have no idea what the parameters of that deal are theoretically that's because they want to keep Chris dreger but what if they just want to sign him to a three by three and a half and somebody else might want him like that's part of this expansion yep. puzzle as well we've talked about that with Mark Giordano are they giving Chris Dreger any type of protection as does, does Chris G- Dreger have a resume that would warrant that I think not so I, I don't know what any what clauses if any are included in that deal but that's a nice piece of business and one and one that was anticipated to be fair
1: yeah, exactly. Not not a major surprise at all, but it is a it, it it's a really good point you make though, Scotty. Like this doesn't mean that Seattle is saying, "Okay, Chris Dreger is our guy in the crease for the next 3 years." Like the fundamental goal of Seattle probably in this expansion process is collecting good assets, right? And maybe they see Chris Dreger as a guy that they want to start a whole bunch of games for them over the next 3 years. Maybe they see him as a really nice asset, right? And again to Friedman's point, just because they have this goalie, under contract now, or they are about to officially have Chris Dreger under contract. Yeah. If that's a deal they think they can move and get value on, they could absolutely still go out and select a Carey Price, a Braden Holpe, take your pick of the other goalies that are available to them.
0: This question comes in. Is there any chance Ron Francis risks a bit of controversy and takes Jake Vertanen out of Vancouver saying, Hey, if he's cleared of any wrongdoing, we'll give him a fresh start. If he's guilty, they void the contract. Or is that just too dicey? That falls into the latter category. Yeah. Jake Vertanen is under investigation right now. We'll see where that goes with the allegations that were put forward. Jamie, I cannot for a second see Seattle saying, yeah, okay, let's sign up for that. And and hopefully it goes the right way from a hockey player's standpoint. And I'm not trying to imply anything about whether or not the allegations are true or not. I can't see Ron Francis and the Seattle Kraken with everything they stand for, with everything they've been about from their hiring standpoint doing that.
1: I just see zero chance because even if for whatever reason, and I don't think you know Jake Furtanen is particularly intriguing just as a hockey player, right? Leave out everything off the ice. I still don't think he's that interesting or that valuable as a hockey player. But let's say for whatever reason Seattle did think, They could really use Jake Vertanen on the ice. Well, he's almost certainly going to get bought out by Vancouver anyways this summer, right? So he's going to be freely available, and there's probably not going to be that many teams interested in him when that does happen. just doesn't make any sense
0: to use an expansion draft pick on him. Back to the goaltending for a second. Someone says they have to take three goalies. If they know Price needs a year off, you'd think they'd want the other two goalies to be NHL caliber. Yep, they have to take three goalies. And they may take three NHL caliber goalies, to use that term anyway, because as we've talked about, some of this is about giving yourself flexibility to move assets for what you're actually looking to do. There are a bunch of trades that are likely to go down on Thursday or Friday once that trade freeze comes off and some of that's going to be with seattle and some of that's going to be with other teams because the turnaround between the expansion draft and the actual draft and free agency it is so fast here jamie it's rapid fire really it's just
1: you know SportsNet is calling it gm week right in the space of a week from one wednesday to the next it's expansion draft Entry draft, start a free agency. And there's going to, you know, we already saw a lot of shuffling, a lot of movement between teams to get ready for the expansion draft. That's not going to slow down after Seattle makes their picks, because then you're going in to the draft, which is normally one of the busiest trading days of the year. And now if Seattle as a player looking to flip some guys, other teams looking to make deals with Seattle and with each other, it's probably going to be even busier than it normally is. And then you run right into free agency just a couple of days later.
0: Someone else texted in about Capo Kakanen being an option that Seattle could draft. I had him on my team when I was putting one together last night, Jamie. Just with playing around, it's one of the great things they've got on CapFriendly.com. Hockey fans know what a great resource that is, and you can go together. You can go put together your team and and figure it out how you want. I actually had Kakanen on my team. So, yeah, I think he is a very viable option. Low cost, under contract for seven and a quarter. And I'm talking thousands, not millions here. $725,000 next season, 24 years old, has experience in the league, certainly was excellent at the AHL level. He's an RFA The season beyond that. He is a very viable option to me in this expansion draft.
1: Yeah, Kakinen was on my kind of rough mock draft or my first attempt at a mock expansion draft for Seattle, too. And then that kind of gets back to what I'm saying with the Braden Holtby conversation, right? Like, there's a lot of intriguing goaltending options available to them that, that makes it, for me at least, hard to see them committing. That kind of money to, to Brayden Holtby, and Kakanen's near the top of that list. I guess the question is, now that they have Dredger kind of officially or almost officially per Elliott Friedman locked up, do they feel an impetus to go with a little bit more experience behind him, or are they content to roll the dice to a certain extent on somebody like Kakanen?
0: It's a fair question, and I don't know about you with the expansion draft simulator, But I found myself going through and it's listed in alphabetical order. You don't have to start that way. You can start wherever you want. But because of the ease of the exercise, I just started going through it alphabetically. And then I'd go back and change things depending on what I did as I got to subsequent teams. And then you look at your team and you say, okay, yeah, I'm okay with that. But what if I drop this guy? What would it mean would I have another domino fall with another team? Because if I'm eliminating a forward and i take a defenseman from that roster instead then i got to replace him with a forward like there's so many different iterations of it and that's where it comes back to where do you start like what's the most important decision that you have to start with if you're seattle because as much as we're playing around with it there are some similarities when you're doing it from a mock perspective to, as to how they're going to do it
1: yeah it's true and i mean as you said huge shout out to cap friendly like an incredible resource all the time, 12 months a year, if you're a big NHL fan. But this week in particular, I mean, I hope they invested in maybe a server upgrade or something because the traffic, I can only imagine what it's like at Cap Friendly. Right now and yeah you almost Have to think of it as a, as a flow chart For Seattle right like okay if we take Carry price then what what does that mean For the rest of our goaltending situation What does that mean for how we want to construct our Blue line for how much cap space We can allocate to our blue line if We don't take carry price what happens Then and it branches out from there Really with each pick you make
0: Let's get into notes and quotes We do it this time every day and today is No different <laughs> Who's in the top six? Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Who's in the crease? Really none of your business. And who's in the press box? It's time for Notes and Quotes. Lots going on in the National Hockey League. Jamie just gave us the update with Chris Treger. Not official, but feeling like it's trending that way. The other contract that was rumored today and is likely to be made official later this week, Barkley Goodrow on the New York Rangers, a six-year deal worth $3.6 million per season, according to Frank Saravelli. in and around there. It's big terms, big money cashed yep. in after winning back-to-back Stanley Cups with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Massive story in hockey today with Luke Prokop. And if you are a WHL fan, you probably know the name. If you're a National Predators fan, you know that he was a draft pick last year as well in the third round, 73rd overall. Luke Prokop has come out and told the world and the hockey world I'm gay and I'm going to live my truth and wanted to unburden himself publicly. He is on the 31 Thoughts podcast. Here's what he had to say about coming out and and being a trailblazer of sorts in hockey.
3: When I had talked to my friends and my family, and my agents about this, they always were just worrying about hockey and how how I wanted to do it and how I wanted to, if I was going to come out, if I was going to keep it private. And the one thing I had always told them is that, Having a career with, you know, three Stanley Cups and a Norris Trophy and all these records is amazing and something that's, you know, I'm hopeful in wanting to do. But I would rather play one game or two games in the NHL and create a lasting difference or a lasting change, have some sort of impact on the game that goes beyond the ice. So that's something that kind of has been my goal and is kind of one of the main reasons in why I want to come out, you know, in hockey.
0: Good for him. I know you and I are united on this, certainly supportive of Luke Prokop. There has been a lot of that from the hockey world today, which is great to see. It is an environment that still needs changing. Jamie, there's a lot of reaction out there in the hockey world. I'm glad so much of it has been positive today. I don't know how many articles you've had a chance to read during the course of the show, but there are wide ranging ones. And, I understand why, they, that Luke Prokop, his family, his agent, anybody in and around him said, okay, let's do this all at once, and it'll be a story. And we talked to Bane Pettinger when Bane Pettinger did this in the athletic in terms of that's where his story breaking first. And we've had we've had Bane on a couple of times on this program today, and, and Bane will tell you, and he actually advised Luke Prokop in this, hey, it's going to be this tidal wave at first of attention and interviews and emotion, and it's going to die down. But it's that feeling of being able to breathe freely that you really want. And Prokop has expressed that as well.
1: It's been really, you know, I'm I'm really glad we've had the opportunity to play a few sound bites from Lou Prokop on the show so far, Scotty. And you know, you think about anybody who chooses to stand up and be in this position in the world of sports, and it takes a lot of courage he's handling it with so much grace, and it's almost hard to believe. I mean, he's only 19 years old, right? Like He just turned 19 back in May. He's not even a professional hockey player, yet I'm really blown away by just the the intelligence, the wisdom, everything that he is showing right now. I mean, I think back to when I was 19, not sure I'd be handling something like this nearly as well as he is. I, I really can't say enough good things right now about Luke, Pro, Luke Prokop, this announcement, what it means for the world of hockey, and I'm just so impressed. Again, 19 years old and this he, he he just sounds he sounds amazing every time you hear a clip
0: from him. Select teammates knew about this. He told, I believe, three of his teammates that were not his brother. He did tell his brother prior to that. He told his family prior to that. Certainly doesn't appear to have changed the relationship that he has with the three teammates that he confided in. It sounds like his family has been extremely supportive as well, including his brother, who was a teammate of his with the Calgary Hitmen. His father had some very emotional comments in the piece that Pierre Lebrun has out today. And his dad said that when his son told him, there was a whole cycle of emotions, including at first being surprised. And then here are the quotes from Al Prokop, the father. And then you turn to a little bit of sadness in the sense of being sad for Luke that he's had to deal with this himself for so long and not being there to help him. Apparently then tears flowed, his voice cracked, and he went on to say not knowing how long he had to deal with it. So there's that sadness component opponent then it turns to how proud you are of him the bravery that he shows in being able to do it it's like a whirlwind and it's not over in a day or two you go through it in your head for weeks and months
1: yeah I mean what a quote from from the dad right and I think that's you know not a situation I've been in but that does a good job of summing it up I think just that that idea of a whirlwind a tidal wave of emotion coming at you all at once
0: Brendan Dillon is a Washington Capitals defenseman. We brought him on the show today in large part to talk about the fact that he had been left unprotected in the expansion draft and that Seattle was a possibility. This story broke this morning with Luke Prokop. So when we had Brendan Dillon on, who was very supportive of Luke Prokop and proud of him being able to be strong enough to share this, we asked Brendan Dillon about being an NHL player, being part of the fraternity right now, and whether or not he felt a responsibility to publicly show support and inclusivity?
3: Oh, I I definitely do. I I think whether that's, you know, being in an interview like this on on the media or from, you know, your your own personal accounts on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it might be. um, I think it's getting behind someone and and making sure they know that you've got their back um, just goes a lot further down the line. And Um, You know, when you see the the players that have come out and and been helping in the Black Lives Matter movement and and people that have now been been helping with Luke and and getting behind him already today, I mean, we're not even 24 hours into the announcement from him. And um, I think it's already, you know, the snowball effect to to help and and be more inclusive um, is already well on its way. So, um, you know, whatever locker room in in Nashville he's in, uh, whether that's next year or at, at his camps coming up throughout the summer, um, I'm sure he's just going to be welcomed with with wide open arms. And um, and again, hopefully more players are able to benefit from it down the road.
0: You can hear the rest of that interview sportsnet.ca slash nine sixty or sportsnet.ca slash 650 plenty of support jamie there's so many stories around the sporting world we didn't get to today because the hockey information from the weekend and the number of elements that our listenership wanted to chime into quite frankly it was overwhelming we should mention somewhere in here that colin Morikawa won the open (laughs) championship on the weekend and he was incredible in doing so bogey free final round goes four under wins by two strokes his putting was incredible he when he missed the fairway was pretty accurate with his misses as well. He wasn't in the deep stuff. He's got two majors in his first eight starts in major championships early in his career. That is the fewest number since World War II of any golfer to get your first two majors. Yeah, that's
1: not bad. That is not bad at all. I mean, as you say, he's outpacing a guy like Tiger Woods in that category. You keep winning him at a
0: 25%
1: clip, you will
0: have yourself a pretty, pretty good career. We talked a little bit earlier about Giannis in the box, a game away from the NBA title. We spoke with Donovan Bennett about that. It broke after our show, and I think most people know by now that Toronto Blue Jays are going to play home games in Toronto, and that's going to happen as of July 30th. That was big news over the weekend, Jamie, and certainly for those in Western Canada who have teams, certainly it's the case in Vancouver, teams that need to travel in for other sports. That is seen as a very good sign for local franchises across this country.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it kind of started with uh, TFC and the Montreal, or I was going to say Montreal Impact. They're not. They're just the Montreal Football Club, I believe now. But started with them. And now it's kind of trickling through the sports landscape, right? So if you're, you know, really jonesing to get back and see the Whitecaps at BC Place, uh, the Premier John Horgan earlier on 650 alluded to that as well. You're probably looking at maybe late August, early September for that happening. But, you know, even if you're not, you you know, we're both big Jays fans. It's not like we're going to be going to games in Toronto or anything, but just good for the team's chances, I think, in the second half to finally actually have a home stadium that is truly their home stadium.
0: Yeah, and some of it's going to have to do with vaccination rates. The Premier of British Columbia made that comment as well. In case you missed it over the course of the past week, the Prime Minister of the country said that as of mid-August, expect cross-border travel for those who have two vaccination shots, completely vaccinated with two shots. Yeah, that it's going to be open to that, so we're going to see that happen. That applies to a lot of teams as well, and as we talked about with Major League Baseball, Jamie, there's a different set of protocol for fully vaccinated players, compared to those who are unvaccinated and depending on which sport we're talking about and how vaccinated rosters are for teams hoping to enter whichever province it's going to change. And and that's where some of these sports have to make a decision as to whether they return for this season or not.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's such a, a fraught issue, right? With, you know, as you said, the, the issue of vaccination rates and, how quickly are they going up and what does a team do if they have you know, X number of players vaccinated but certain guys aren't? Do those guys have to stay home or are they going to have to be in a little modified bubble? It's There's light at the end of the tunnel, but there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered.
0: We're still looking at Tokyo. Opening ceremonies are on Friday, so we will certainly keep you abreast of what's happening in Tokyo. There were a couple of athletes that tested positive in the Athletes Village in the last half hour. This has come out from USA Basketball out of an abundance of caution. So it's not being called a positive test at this point, Jamie. But out of an abundance of caution, Zach Levine has been placed under USA Basketball's health and safety protocols. Will not travel with the team to Tokyo today. USA Basketball hopeful that he will be able to join the team in Tokyo later this week. An American roster that has already seen players bow out due to injury or other concerns might lose another player, though they are hopeful they won't.
1: Yeah, already shorthanded, now staring potentially at losing another kind of key player for this team. They're still the favorites, but as we talked about with Donovan Bennett, I mean, there's some good teams in this tournament. And the more talent the U.S. loses, like the smaller the margin of error gets for them, hopefully, fingers crossed, just for the sake of the tournament, Zach Levine is able to join the team. But man, just another question mark for a U.S. team that has a lot of them right now.
0: Some of you questioning the topic selection today. Man, it's been busy. Don't worry. We're going to get to a lot of this stuff throughout the course of the week. And those who wonder about the Vancouver Canucks trade and our analysis of it, yes, you can find that in the body of our program today. just might not be when you decided to tune in. Jamie, thank you very much for stepping in admirably for Karen today. She is back tomorrow. You are not. You're going to give yourself a little week off. Put your feet up a little bit here.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Got some, uh, got some other stuff to attend to, so it won't be completely just relaxing with a drink in my hand. But yeah, I will be, uh, I'll be doing other work for, instead for the next four days. So have a great rest of the week. Enjoy talking to Kent Johnson tomorrow.
0: We certainly will. Nice little promo. Yes, we will have a man, a young man who is expected to be in certainly the first round, maybe in the top ten of the NHL draft. Kent Johnson joins us on the program tomorrow. Mike McKenna as well. We'll get his thoughts on what's happening with the expansion process. Be sure not to miss that. Raja Shergill, excellent job producing the program today. He's also leaving us tomorrow, but don't worry. We've got a producer for the program. We didn't get to the Greg Ballack story, but I have not forgotten, Greg. It will come up. Big ups to you back at Mission Control. We'll turn things over to the big show in Calgary. Bick and the Boss on location today in Vancouver. They are live at the 2021 Jays Care Celebrity Golf Classic as well. Ty Smith among their guests We will talk to you tomorrow. Have yourselves a great Monday.